Cool, yeah. So my name is Jeff Johnson. Uh, I get to share with you today. I've been at Bethany for seven years. I help out with the, the kiddos downstairs. And um, I'm on the leadership team here at uh, Bethany Ballard. So um, if you will, will you open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4? And that's where we're going to be today. All right, let's pray. Uh, Lord, I pray as we open your word, as we, as we examine your word here today, that God, you would reveal yourself to us. Uh, we pr- I pray that, Lord, that, that the seeds of your word, they would, they would land in our hearts. I pray that they would bear fruit. I pray that you would give us eyes to see you, ears to, to hear you, Father, and that, God, you would tune our affections towards you, Lord, that we might love you more than than anything else. Um, we pray this in your name. Amen. So let's, uh, let's start at verse 7 uh, in 1 John chapter 4, shall we? We're just going to read just a small little chunk here. So uh, verse, uh, verse 7. Uh, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Sometimes I wonder uh, if words are a currency with diminishing returns. Like, the value of a word is compromised by the frequency of its use. This might have something to do with the way the um, Oxford English Dictionary now recognizes the word literally to also mean figuratively because my buddy Bruce, folks like my buddy Bruce, um, so often use the word that way. Like Bruce was literally blown away by the Bills game two weeks ago. Literally, Bruce was blown away like a leaf in the wind to be raked up. And while he'll be compost soon, when I find myself in 1 John, I find myself in this exercise of course correction because the word love is used literally, and I mean literally in the OG sense, 51 times in a relatively short text. The whole book, right? Okay. So, and if we believe that All scripture is God-breathed, you know, the source of truth, the ultimate reality. I have to believe that this focus on love isn't some last track of the magical mystery tour type nonsense. Like God, through John, really wants to unpack specific realities about love for us. And so over the course of the last four weeks, we've been on a little bit of a tour ourselves, From early on in the letter, in 1 John 2, you don't have to turn there, it should be there soon, Um, John 
discusses love in relation to light and darkness um, as a metaphor for possessing faculties without corresponding or complementary conditions. In Levin, he says, but whoever hates his brother, there it is, yeah, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. See, one can have eyes, but without light, the proper corresponding condition, they're useless. In the same way, one can have prowess or wherewithal, competency, street smarts, but without love, they're useless. Love is the condition in which our faculties are designed to work. Right, later in that chapter, next slide here, um, John gives shape to what loving the world looks like. So pause here for like a hot second. Take a minute in your mind, what do you think loving the world looks like? John says, do not love the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride in possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. So he calls out these three things specifically. The desires of the flesh, desires for, you know, what makes me, like, feel good. The desires of the eyes, the things, desires for the things that I behold. And the boastful pride of life, like swaggering self-stock in material possessions. And these are the characteristics of loving the world. So he gives loving the world form. John has unpacked the conditions in which our lives are meant to be lived. And he gives loving the world form. Then on to 1 John 3, which Brad spoke about last week, where love is described as the reason behind and the regenerative force inciting rebirth into the family of God. This is what Brad talked about last week. Chapter 3 really seems to exposit in finer detail a thought smack dab in the middle of John's gospel um, in the middle of the first chapter. So buckle up for cross-reference here. Um, But to all who did receive him, this is from John's gospel, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We become children of God, we're regenerated, we're new identities, because he loves us, and because the mystery of that love, when received, starts to change us. And this is a triumph of the Holy Spirit to reorder our affections for him. I pray for my kids' affections. Like, I want them pointed at God, first and foremost. I don't want them pointed at me. I don't want them pointed at Jess. I don't want them pointed at, I don't know, like Rubik's Cubes or puppies or Super Mario. I want those affections pointed at God. So earlier last week, um, we're all sitting on this giant sort of red old couch that's in our playroom. Um, And the three kids and I were really into this game called Animal Crossing. It's, um, It's like a Nintendo Switch game where you 
develop a society by selling apples and checking your cell phone. Like you are, you are literally, and I mean literally, checking your cell phone in game. Like you are controlling a character. You are on a device controlling a character who's on his device checking his cell phone. Like these are the games we play now, right? Checking my cell phone isn't enough. I need to do it in a video game. Okay, and a society thrives when you do this naturally. And I don't understand what's being taught here. But I have Teeny. Uh, her name is Amelia. She's five. We call her Teeny, like Martini. And she's cuddling up next to me, like little pink socks, little blonde bun on top of her head, pink Nintendo Switch. It's kind of the best. And I lean over and I say, hey, Teeny, I love you a million. And she looks up and says, I love you a million and one. And then she goes, but I love God a Googleplex. And I'm like, yes, like that's it. Those are the seeds. Like those are the categories that the Holy Spirit is like paving in her mind. And what a triumph of the Holy Spirit to start to order the affections of her heart. All right, back to John here. So we're in three. We're still on our magical mystery tour of John. And then later in chapter 3, John gets really practical, practical, (laughs) practical about what it means to love horizontally in lieu of that new birth into the family of God that Brad talked about last week. And then that all leads us to chapter 4 here today. Take a look at verse 7 again. Beloved, let us love one another For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And there's a piece of this verse which has historically been lost on me, like some flyover state, because it's cushioned in between the directive at the beginning, let us love one another, and then this magnificent reality at the end, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And I don't know what happened this time. It don't happen this week. But this time, that middle phrase there, that struck me. This phrase, for love is from God. Love is from God. Love originates with God. It's, love's beginning is God. Like, its source is God. It's not a nebulous, adjacent force in the supernature parallel to God, like there's God over here, and he is loving, and there's this cosmic stream over here, and it is love itself. And then it's not something that originates inside my own heart, as much as Disney would want me to look inward for identity and courage and love. And it's not something that has been conditioned into us by society like some utilitarian apparatus to modify good behavior and generate social order. Like, on the contrary to all the buzz about love, from the Sumerians to Shakespeare and Jane Eyre to Colleen Hoover, there is no love, there's no room for, like, consider myself a loving person. God, you say, I don't believe in him and I don't like him. Like, that's the source if this, if this immaterial reality exists as we understand it to exist, then it begins with God. 
Like, that's where it comes from. Which means, if I am at all loving, no, sorry, if I'm at all loving, yeah, not just charitable, not just benevolent, not just extra merciful, if I'm at all loving the Lord, my brother, my neighbor, my wife and kids, I am not producing love, but I'm more accurately caught up or tuned into, John will use the word abiding, um, in, tuned into something originating outside of myself, something of supernatural origin. And I more closely resemble a conduit channeling something that exists outside myself. My boys, I have a boy there, but I have two, but my boys have grown really fond of um, carrying around walkie-talkies so they can speak to construction workers and the sort who are, you know, doing real jobs throughout the day. And they'll sit in the car and they'll flip through channels, tuning their radios to signals that are already out there, hoping for a live line so they can interject the phrase, poo-poo butt, straight into the middle of somebody's work day. Because they don't have slack yet. Uh, <laughs> Uh, they're not producing the electromagnetic spectrum. They're tuning into a spectrum that already exists. Moreover, John amplifies the claim in seven. Take a look at verse eight. Cut two. Yeah, eight. Cool. Anyone who does not love God... Oh, gosh, no. I'm going to say it again. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So John goes from... Love is from God to God is love. And this isn't some like new age pantheistic cosmic humanist feel goodery that belongs on a bumper sticker with a picture of a cat. This is this is about the character of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords at whose pleasure empires rise and fall. I sometimes wonder if I'm raising not children, but vampires here in the cloudy Pacific Northwest. We visit family in Arizona every December, where it's t-shirt weather in the winter. And without fail, the first time one of the kids steps outside, one of them, Elliot, Oliver, Amelia, they'll look up. Behold the wide blue southwestern skies, hiss at the sun, complain it's too bright, anamorph into a bat and fly back inside, where they will inform us that it is too cold inside. And I'm like, you kids want to get warm, like get close to the source. You, sorry, I was like, okay. Uh, you kids, um, you want to know love? Get close to the source. So in the same way, I don't know, Justin Bieber gets his peaches out in Georgia. You likewise get your love right from the source, yeah. And that's where a three-point presentation sermon, I don't know, begins. Point one, God is the source of love. Hard cut, problem statement. How do we get close to the source? For my kids, for my chilly kids, it's return to your human form, go back outside. For us, 
Here in John, 1 John, it's verse 9. Verse 9. Cool. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Here we see that the source moved towards us. And here's the thing. We are material, material creatures. We are creatures partly made out of matter as far as we can tell. And we, material creatures made out of matter, have an affinity for measuring the material, observable world. It's part of our process of assigning value to things. Like, what is that? The passage of time? Let's measure it. You've got a yard, I've got a yard stick. Which way is the nearest Chipotle? According to my compass, it's due east. Look how fast that toddler's running. Just clocked it. D equals RT, bro. What's cooler than being cool, ice cold? We seek to understand a world made out of matter partly by measuring it. But here's the thing amidst all of the matter and measurements and observations. Love is an immaterial, not made out of matter, reality. You can't measure it like you would the observable world. You don't deliver 10 kilograms of love to your neighbor. You haven't frozen love to 32 degrees for your barbecue next week. But when John writes here, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him, the love of God becomes material or made of matter in Jesus. Jesus is the material demonstration of an immaterial reality. For the English majors, I don't know, okay, English majors, the same way we use language to describe the world, the world is used to describe immaterial realities. The world becomes a metaphor for something greater. And here's the thing. God has done this throughout Scripture over and over. We see it in like the Eucharist, right? We see it in the the, the elements, the bread and the wine. Feasting on the bread and the wine is a material, it's made out of matter, representation of us feasting on the provisions of Jesus Christ crucified. We see this in marriage. This is a material, two people made out of matter coming together who represent a greater reality outside themselves, namely Jesus the groom and the church his bride. We see this in baptism, water made out of matter, right? It's a material representation of the death and new life in Jesus Christ. We see this in the flood, which is also a material representation of the death and life of Jesus foreshadowing the death and life of Jesus according to Hebrews. And this all culminates in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. God communicates spiritual, non-touchable realities through material, touchable things. In Jesus, love is given material form. And then he fine-tunes this in verse 10. 
I'm just going to look at that screen to cue you. Where is it? There it is. Verse 10. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be a, yeah, boy, propitiation for our sins. See, Brad explained to me, that guy, Brad explained to me, that John has this tactic where he says one thing, and then one-ups it in the next verse to drive that point home. It's called, I didn't know this till last week, Amplified Prose. He was looking at you, kid. He's already done this. In verse 7, the claim is, love is from God. In verse 8, it's, not only is love from God, God is love. He, he, he says one thing, and then he kind of says the same thing, but amplifies it. He does it here in 9 and 10. In 9, God sent his son into the world. The one-up sent his son to be a propitiation. That's amplified prose. Say one thing, say it again, but add a little bit to it. And that word, propitiation. If it's translated that way in your Bible, like circle it and draw like a hundred arrows to it. If there is one word on this table on which we are to feast, oh my gosh, I think it's propitiation. Um, this word propitiation, uh, the NIV will say atoning sacrifice. Uh, yes, but propitiation, put that in your pipe and smoke it because this single word captures the one word, the wrath of God, the, the, the owed to mankind, owed to me because of my sin, and the atoning sacrifice of Jesus in our place. One word, those three things, propitiation. And that one magnificent, splendid word represents one magnificent, splendid reality. In some sermon, at some point in my life, probably like in a car driving to work or something, I don't know, um, John Piper, Pastor John Piper, explained propitiation as a wrath sponge. A wrath sponge. And man, that never left me. I was like, yes, I need a wrath sponge. Jesus, as propitiation, stands between me and God, a holy God, and like a sponge, absorbs the wrath of God that is due to me because I am sinful. As I cling to him, as I take refuge in him, and as I trust him to do that. We sing it in that hymn that we're all about to sing. Um, And on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God is satisfied. And I can't read that without sounding like Dr. Seuss, sorry. Um, (laughs) It's just got that rhythm built in, man. Um, So if there's a second point, I'd say that love is given material form in Jesus Christ as the propitiation for our sin. Wait, the first point was the source of love is God. Love is given material form in Jesus Christ. All right, I got to take a drink. Sorry, guys. The nerves, they just really dry out your mouth. Am I right? (laughs) Yeah, they do. All right, where were we? We're somewhere. And I don't, okay, so, and I don't think... um, 
I don't think we can properly understand the verses here in this context without understanding that wrath sponge thing, that propitiation thing. Um, contextually, it's the type of love, propitiation, we are looking at Jesus, where um, one willfully, Jesus willfully, sacrifices his own comfort, his own good, right up, right up to the point of his own life for another. So when we're talking about love here, we're talking about sacrificing your own comfort, your own good, possibly your own life for another. And this is important because the first chapter, no, sorry, because this chapter, 1 John, some of these verses can go, boo, like skew in really strange ways. Like take a look at verse 8, for instance. Yeah, sorry, I didn't include, oh, you nailed it, thank you. Um, yeah, God is love, like this verse has been hijacked and used to justify relativism, hedonism, morally questionable decisions, and outright trajectory away from the source, which is like the long way of saying rebellion. Like it's not uncommon for us to hear God is love. He would never require fill in the blank from me. He would never require me to quit my job, spend my money that way, unfollow that account, abstain from that television show, have that family over for dinner, spend my Tuesday nights that way, apologize to that person, admit I was wrong in that conversation, or even have that conversation to begin with. God is love. He wouldn't require me to do that. To which I think this text responds, God is love, and he is fine-tuning your heart through his love to a place where you might sacrifice your own comfort, your own good, to the point of your own life for another. You see, this chapter is incredibly important for a society who has literally, and I mean literally, confused love for permissiveness, has confused love for comfort, licentiousness, the whole you do you paradigm, and I'll do me, and loving me is leaving me alone. All those fit really nice into that first verse we looked at, no, second verse we looked at in the second chapter, love of the world. Folks want to say, God is love, so let me pursue pleasures without interruption. God is love, so let me pursue whatever my eye beholds. God is love. Look at this kingdom I am building for myself. See, the love of God, love for the world, stands in opposition to the love of God. Okay, so think back t- with me real quick to um, last December. We had some pretty crazy storms here. Do you remember those windstorms when like the whole grid, like all of Seattle was like, boom, and like just shut down because of the wind? Oh, we are so frail. Um, well, those storms blew about a half a cord of wood out of my trees in the form of branches. Like at the end of those storms, I walked out on my grass and was like, there's so much wood here. And so I spent, well, you know what, to be honest, I finished last week cleaning it up. So it took from December to 
freaking February to clean up my yard. Um, but I, I, you know, I was cutting them up. I'm like, oh, this is manna from heaven. I'm going to burn it next year. Like, that's why. It, it took a while. I wanted to saw it up. Um, anyhow, that storm that blew the branches out of my trees blew one. There's one branch. One particular branch. And it was, I don't know, 50 feet up. I got, there's some pretty big trees in my yard. It broke and then landed on another branch 35 feet up. And I looked at this, this branch and it was like that widow maker. Gosh, it is just waiting for some child who is hungry for an insurance policy to land on. And, and so I'm like, I got to got to get rid of this branch that's just like broken and floating 35 feet up over my lawn like soccer is played under this branch. And so I'm like, all right. So I call some branch companies and they're like, yeah, it'll be like 700 bucks because everything in Seattle is like 700 bucks. You want a new license plate? 700 bucks. You want one branch removed? 700 bucks. Like that's Seattle. And so all these companies were like, yeah, it'll be like 700 bucks. I'm like complaining to my friends. I'm like, oh, I got this branch. It's going to kill one of your kids. And one of my buddies, Steve, he may or may not be in this room. I don't know. Um, Steve was like, dude, let's just like climb the tree and push it out. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, 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 we can do it. And so one Sunday, Steve, who may or may not be in this room, and another buddy, Nate, who may or may not be in this room, um, come over after church because we're going to push the Widowmaker out of the tree. And this Sunday, it was a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago or something, this was like, this was the, like a very, very rainy Sunday. Like this is a Sunday where like your outer shell is soaked to your inner puffer jacket which is the most Pacific Northwest thing. Oh, my Patagonia soaked to my other Patagonia. But it was like that type of Sunday. You know what I mean? Um, and so Steve, maybe in the room, I don't know, Nate, maybe in the room, they come over and they're like, yeah, we're going to push it out. So <laughs> Steve's 20 feet. He, Nate brings over a, like a 20-foot extension ladder. Steve's at the top of that ladder, and we've armed him with a pole saw with a chainsaw at the end that extends 15 feet, and then we're like, oh man, that doesn't actually reach. So we tape a broomstick to the end of the chainsaw pole saw, and Steve is like pushing, like just reaching, and Nate's steadying the ladder, and I'm not doing much actually. Um, But the point is this, like these two guys... On a Sunday where they could have been at home, I don't know, watching a football game next to the fire with their cozy socks on drinking cocoa, they decided to come out in the torrential rain, do something kind of actually dangerous. At one point, the chainsaw was thrown while running. And what they did is they gave up their comfort, Steve, maybe to the point of his own life, for the good of another. And that's, that's like a small little, right? But... But that's what love is. That, that, that's what's happening here. This isn't lust of the flesh, lust of the world. You do you. I do me. Leave me alone. We're in love. Like, it's not that. Another sort of, I was thinking about this as an example. I was thinking, like, about examples for this. We, um, I used to work in, um, in the veterinary industry. I'm not a veterinarian. Um, but I, I ran, like, a startup there, and I, I spent a lot of time with vets. They had war stories. 
they'd be like, Jeff, you know, you ever, you ever, ever tell you that one time the pug sneezed and its eyeballs popped out and we had to put it back in? And I'm like, no. <laughs> like, what? What are you talking about? And they're like, yeah, the owner was so mad. She was like, you're telling me that pugs, when they were running around in the wild, would sneeze and their eyeballs would pop out? And, like, the vets were like, do you understand, like, pugs are mutations, <laughs> right? Like, we made pugs. Like, they're not supposed... Dogs aren't supposed to look like that. That's why they're sneezing their eyes out. And so, anyhow, there's this one other war story that they're telling. And my boss, Pat, he was like, we ever tell you about, like, the lady with the raccoon? And I'm like, no, no. And he's like, we have this lady come in. And she, she, incidentally, she was at home, and she heard her cat just screeching in the kitchen. So she ran downstairs. And there, in the middle of the kitchen, a raccoon had used the doggy door, the cat door, I don't know, to get inside the kitchen, and the cat and the raccoon were, were fighting, they're clawing, they're in this big, like, you know, cartoon-esque skerfuffle. So she reaches down, grabs the cat and the raccoon, pulls them apart, the raccoon starts going ballistic on her arm, she drops her cat, walks over to the sink, fills it up while the raccoon is on her arm, dunks the raccoon, drowns the raccoon in her sink, then... Like, her arm is, like, obliterated. She grabs the cat, and the first place she goes is the animal hospital. <laughs> because she's like, we need to take care of this cat. It could have rabies. And the doctor's like, you might have rabies. Like, you need to go to... See, but in, in this other sort of strange way, this woman sacrificed her own good. <laughs> her own comfort. For something else. And that's love. That's what John's unpacking here. It's love for a cat. All right, so. Two more verses. 11 and 12. Dear friends. Did I give those to you? I don't know if I did. I don't remember. Okay. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. How ought we? Propitiation. Wrath sponge. Sacrificing your own comfort, your own good, for the good of another. Maybe to the point of your own life. Uh, verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. So here's the conclusion. Here are the points. One, the source of love is God. Not a nebulous, adjacent force that just exists in the cosmic ether, but it's God. Like It comes from God. Like that, It starts there. Two, love becomes matter. Love is given matter. It becomes observable measurable in Jesus. And three, he is tuning our hearts through his love to the place where we might sacrifice our own comfort, our own good, to the point of our own lives for another. So uh, I'll pray today. Um, I'm going to pray from this book, Valley of Vision. And I think this is a, a Puritan prayer that sort of hits on some of these notes. So if you will, join me in prayer. Gracious God, my heart praises thee for the wonder of thy love in Jesus. He is heaven's darling, but is for me the incarnate, despised, rejected, crucified sin bearer. In him thy love in him thy love to rebels has reached its height. Oh, to love thee with a love like this. My heart is stone, melt it with thy love. My heart is locked, 
Let thy love be the master key to open it. O Father, I adore thee for thy great love in the gift of Jesus. And Jesus, I bless thee for resigning thy life for me. And Holy Spirit, I thank thee for revealing to me this mystery. Great God, let thy Son see in me the travail of his soul. Amen.